accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. everybody welcome back to the show we're continuing our run through star trek deep space nine and right now we are up to the episode called rejoined it is the sixth episode of the fourth season first aired on october 30th 1995 teleplay goes to ron d moore and uh, renee echeverria story credit goes to renee echeverria directed by commanders or captain of this point captain cisco avery brooks in this episode Dex is reunited with the Khan symbiont, a wife of one of her previous hosts, and must decide whether or not to ignore the Trill taboo and continue their relationship. We're joined by patron Bob. Bob, you uh, are the captain tier on the patron page, which is patreon.com slash And as such, you get to uh, the, uh, the opportunity to join an episode and you chose Rejoined. So how are you? And if you want to introduce yourself and explain why you picked Rejoined, that would be great. That's fine. I'm glad. I'm happy to, happy to be here. Um, well, I cho- chose to join mostly because being a gay man, of course, this episode obviously interested me a lot and had a lot of thoughts about the episode as far as how I relate to it, you know, being gay as opposed to someone else. So that was that was my big thing. Sure. For me. You, um, you're obviously familiar with it. You've seen the series and everything like that before. So uh, we missed the opportunity to discuss what, what the hell was that TNG episode? The uh uh, the outcast the outcast right that's the other one that's sort of uh traditionally known as the a gay episode um i'm less familiar with rejoined i think i had probably never seen it before this last time but we're going to take a break we're going to play an audio clip uh and then me and bob are going to get into discussing breaking apart the episode that is rejoined so let me get this straight dax's first host was named leela right i think so leela dax that's right then Leela dies, and the Dax symbiont goes on to a man named Tobin. And after Tobin dies, then it's on to Emony, then to Rias, Audred. Uh, no, no, Audred, then to Rias. Sorry, Audred, Tarius, Duran, Curzon, and then eventually Jadzia. Right. And this uh, Dr. Lenara Khan person was once married to... Tarius, but of course, in those days, she wasn't Lenara. I knew it couldn't be that simple. And the Khan symbiont, which is now joined to Lenara, used to be joined to a woman named Nilani, and it was Nilani who married Tarius Dax. But Tarius was killed in a shuttle accident. And Nilani became a widow. Years later, when Nilani died, the Khan symbiont was joined to Lenara. And now, Nilani is Lenara, and Tarius is Jadzia. So that makes Lenara Jadzia's ex-wife. Uh- uh, it's a little more complicated than that, Cork. I'm sure it is, but to be honest, I'm sorry I brought the whole thing up. It's giving me a headache. All right, so rejoined. Let's get into this one. Um, do you want to go first? Do you want to give me your sort of general thoughts, and then I'll feed off of that, and we can see where this goes. Well, you know, it, it was hard. It's hard for me not to want to compare this to The Outcast. And the funny thing is, when I really started tearing into the episode and really analyzing it, and I warn you, I overanalyze anything. Um. It was hard, it was so hard not to see all the similarities. It really at one point felt like they just took the outcast script and fit it into rejoin and just changed a few things. Um, if, if you look if you look at the episode in the outcast, there's a sign a, a techno babble problem with null space. They have a problem in Deep Space Nine. They have the wormhole 
creation project in uh, in the TNG there uh, Riker's giving up his career in Deep Space Nine Dex maybe giving up her place in Troll society um, in the Star Trek Next Generation Outcast Sauron who is the uh, I guess you could say the the gender neutral character who thought felt she was female you know, ends up having, ends up not having a change of heart, but literally a change of mind from their psychotectonic treatments. And in this case, uh, oh, what is Dex? Uh, the, the name of the scientist. I know that. I know it's Khan. But Her name is Lenara. Lenara. Lenara does have a, just has simply has a change of heart. But it was funny. I, I just, they just took one script and kind of put it on top of the other one and then just changed a few things. Which, uh, that, that was the thing that was funny with me. Which, which episode would you say that you actually prefer? Oh boy, um, it it's 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 hard to say because there's good things about both and there's bad things about both. Um, I think with Rejoin, the thing I liked the most about it was <clears throat> that no one was having a problem with the fact that these these were two women who were, you know, and the possibility of them getting back together. I mean, Kira never, you know, when she was talking to Julian there at Corks. Kira never thought twice about, you know, the fact that it was two women. She was thought, why can't they resume their their marriage and be done with it? Um, and that part I loved because it's it's nice to be able to look at a gay couple in, the, in just a matter of fact term without making an issue of it. Um, but, you know, with the outcast, it was more of a purposeful decision to, you know, mirror the LGBT, you know, existence and, you know, struggles. And with the outcast, which I like too, so those were. It, it's it's funny they're the same script in a sense, but because of the way they change things, it's almost like comparing apples to oranges because they have different effects and different intentions. So I'd probably go with rejoin just because it's a little less in your face and a little bit a little less on the nose, like outcast kind of was. So I, I would say for me it'd be rejoin, but it, it's, it's it's they're so different and yet so similar. It's funny. I think that the um, rejoined they rejoined is an interesting episode because it's it's as you say it's not as blunt and in your face about being a uh, homosexual relationship as the outcast was. It, it feels like it's more of a, a nuanced thing where you could, you know, you could probably make the argument that it's not even really about the homosexual relationship in this episode. It's just something that modern audiences would take away from it because as you say, the characters in Rejoin don't seem to care that this is the fact. It's a, it's more about the Trill taboo is standing in for any kind of modern take on the content and the trill taboo is the fact that joined trills aren't allowed when they get a new ho- uh, new host to sort of set off on their romantic relationships with their previous lovers again and rejoined to me the pr- like rejoined is I'll, I'll say what i think about this episode rejoined is a very good love story that I really enjoy everything about the show and I like everything that the episode does and the way it handles the material and the way that it's acted, the way that it's directed, the way that it ends. My problem with Rejoined is that I watch it and I am endlessly distracted by not understanding Trill Society at all. And I find it to be a real problem because 
I sit there wondering, you know, thinking, wow, there's a lot of stuff that you could really take out of this episode. However, I'm endlessly distracted by not understanding how the Trill recognize each other. You know what I mean? Well, here, here's the problem. Yeah, here's the problem, Wes. I think when they created Dax, the character, initially, I think on paper it looked great. You know, I think it was only, I think they looked at it, I don't know for sure, I haven't seen any interviews of any of the writers know for sure, but I, I get the feeling they thought of her as a Guinan-type character. Instead of Guinan, instead of Guinan who had lived, you know, one life for 800 years or so, in this case, it'd be the symbiont living, you know, symbiont living seven lifetimes. And I think they looked at her as that being that confident, you know, confidant for Cisco and being able to draw on her experiences. The, the problem was, the problem with Dax is that because she's not a main character, because she's, she's one of the secondary characters, let's be honest, it's, it's hard for, it's hard to, they've, they've been very inconsistent in how they've written Dax. That's been my biggest frustration because sometimes Dax talks in the third person, like say about Curzon or Tarias, but then sometimes she'll, she'll talk in the first person, you know, as those people. Even on this episode, they're doing it. In fact, what's funny is there's one point when Lenara and Dax are on the Defiant, even Lenara has to say, boy, I can't, you know, she was using going from first, first to third person, and she was getting confused by it all. Up until then, there didn't seem to be any confusion with Dax. With Dax, she would go in and out of first and third person, and, you know, it would never felt funny to her. All of a sudden, now this is funny, odd to Lenara, and to a degree to Dax, too. Um, so I found that really interesting, but there's never been enough consistency with how they deal with Dax. And I, I wish I had done this. For those who, know, who don't know, I'm a truck driver, so sometimes it's hard to do all the background studying I want to do because I'm so busy driving to me exhausted when I get off at a truck stop at night. But it feels like with every rider, they're handling Dax differently. And so you never know from one episode to the other how she's going to act. You know, the last episode that uh, you and uh, Clay did, um, they wrote where oh, what's the episode where she got to meet all her pers- all her other life facets? You all had made a comment that you thought you understood Dax, and I remember as I was listening to that podcast, very lovingly chuckling at you two because <laughs> I thought, oh wait, wait, wait till you get to rejoin, guys, because you'll change, you might change your tune on that again. Because yeah, it, I mean the. The, well, the issue here is that be, previous to this episode, the series the series started out confused about what the Trill were, and they it kind of went both ways. And then we had a run in the second and third seasons where it seemed to imply that the symbionts were secondary to the hosts in terms of personality. Like the the host is basically the person who takes the symbiont becomes. Uh, a new person because they have all these previous memories, but it seems like their personality is the primary driver, which might be uh, manipulated by the memories that are installed into it. This makes a different case because what happens here is that both the Dax and the Khan symbionts have moved into new people. So when they see each other, the symbiont seems to be the primary driver of recognizing previous relationships because these people shouldn't recognize each other. You know what I mean? Like they, well, there is no less well, than the one, one where they're, when they're in quarks after Bashir leaves, Lenara makes the comment, comment, you know, it says, when, oh, actually it was both. I think made the comment of how I know you're a different person, but yet when you do such and such a thing, 
you know, I see the other person, um, which is, you know, and I, and I, it, this episode, you know, it's funny because when he talked about reassociation, it's funny because what, and, and it was on the Defiant once again, the first time on Defiant where he says, well, Lenara says, well, maybe that's why, you know, reassociation is such a bad thing. And what's so funny is they kind of proved, they kind of proved that right because they get so lost in the memories there at Quark's that you don't feel like they're really falling in love with each other. They're falling in love with what, with the past basically. And, and it really go, it really gives you a blueprint of why reassociation has become a taboo with real society, because all of a sudden here, you, here we go again about, you know, why this is so bad. They're proving it right in front of our eyes, but why this isn't such a great idea because it's hard to, I can understand why the society feels like that's a bad thing because you can get so caught up in the past, you get confused over what's the past and what's current. And it's, they make the case for, for not reassociating almost perfectly. Interestingly enough, the, one of the things I really got on my nerves with this show, there are three conversations that Dax and Cisco have. And the, I really looked at this and thought it was interesting. Here I go with interesting. I criticized you a long time ago and when you were doing TNG about using interesting and I'm using it now. Just pointing that out. <laughs> but it's it's a good oh, it's a good standby word when you when you don't know uh, you can't think for of another those, vocabulary word, yeah. Who are go listening, ahead. It, I one time I think I typed on YouTube. I said you could use that every time you and Clay you essentially use it as a drinking game. <laughs> you get drunk quick, but you could use it. <laughs> um so that's where the inside <laughs> jokes coming from. But what's interesting is that the first conversation Dex and Cisco have is in the beginning and in the opening. And it's, I have no problem with that conversation. You know, Cisco's concerned about, you know, her, her seeing, what's her name again? Lenara. Lenara. Well, I can't remember that name. But, and he gives her the option to, you know, take some leave. Fine. Well, then the second conversation happens rather quickly right before the reception. And all of a sudden after... Dax making it clear she can handle it. He comes in to Dax's quarters and says, "Are you? you, know, you can back out if you want to." And I was surprised at how the writers wrote that because if I had been Dax, I would have looked at Cisco and said, "Wait a second, we've had this conversation. Why don't you trust me more?" It would have if I had been Dax, it would have bothered me to have the second conversation because I thought once she had the first conversation, that should be the end of it. But he has the second one, and she kind yeah. of plays it off, sort of not even being really particularly annoyed. And then the third conversation comes along. After twice, Dax saying, I'm okay and can handle this. Now the third conversation comes along. She's madly in love with Lenara, and she is considering throwing away you know, everything about true society. And then Cisco acts almost sort of oddly nonchalant. And if I had been Cisco at the third conversation, I would look to Dax and said, you've got to be kidding me. I not once but twice asked you, can you handle this? You told me for certain you could. And now you're coming telling me that you're in love with her and went to throw away everything. Are you serious? I would have given her some grief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's like... Cisco... Please, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, Cisco's problem... Cisco's Cisco has uh, an odd role in this episode to me because he he's kind of a check-in point for Dax along the way. And... At the end, he seems to give her the advice that is the right thing to do, and she just immediately sort of flip-flops on it. Um, and so I don't really understand what Cisco's role is here because he he serves as a check-in point, but he ultimately doesn't really have too much of an impact outside of stating what the other option is for her. So his restating of the case, as you're saying, l- lends this little uselessness 
to his his role. And it, it's almost just for the audience's benefit that he's checking in to make sure that the audience is aware of where Dex's headspace but, but is. But Wes, currently. it's useless because the to me the the emotions they signed to him and to Dax in the second conversation make no sense considering, you know, that's that was what's so fresh about the conversations. And what was worse is the conversation you needed to hear, you didn't get to hear, which was between Lenara and her brother at the end. Because all you get is at the very tail end, they're just making a little small talk before Dax comes in, where she can get this whole speech of how I can't, don't think I can handle this. And I'm sorry, I thought to myself, that's a conversation I needed to hear. <laughs> you know, that was a conversation that, that, that would have made sense to hear what she said to Dax, you know, at the end. Instead, you don't get that conversation at all. And I thought, why did they write the second? I, I wish they had taken out the second time that Cisco's asked Dax, are you sure? Because to me, they're good enough friends that, to me, the first time when she says I can handle that, it should have been it. I don't know why they decided he needed to, you know, like you said, I guess as a checkpoint. But I would rather have taken out the second conversation between Cisco and Dax and put in the conversation between Lenar and her brother. Because otherwise, you're missing something that to me is way too important for the story. Because she go, she kind of just, uh, just does a 180 turn and all of a sudden says, I can't handle this. And I thought, well, if you're going to say that, I'd like to know what your brother said about it. You know, why he can, how he convinced you. You don't get that. What's uh? You had mentioned that you you thought that the uh, the reason the trill do this is because they're sort of stuck in the past and that they can't um, m- not moving on. And I think Bashir says it in the episode that the, the point of the symbiote, for some reason, uh, the point of the symbiote is to go and accumulate uh, lifetimes of memories and information and stuff. And so they the trill feel that if you go back to uh, previous relationships, you're not really living the lifestyle that the Trill symbiont demands. You're sort of short-circuiting it. And I guess the the reason that this taboo came along is because Michael Piller had the idea that uh, the if they didn't have this taboo, Trill society would just become an aristocracy, aristocracy, excuse me, about um, an aristocracy about the joined Trills would have their own little clique that the rest of the trolls wouldn't have because they would just associate with each other and they wouldn't want to make new memories and everything. They, I think my problem here is that, and I will get into the actual relationship uh, aspect of this, of the show, because I do think it is very good. The trill, the trill don't make a lot of sense in this episode for me for a couple of reasons. The first one is that the symbionts shouldn't recognize each other. So the memories of spending time with another person shouldn't really have any impact because as I understand it, the symbionts aren't driving anything. So I don't understand why two new hosts who are like 150 years separated from each other and have gone through multiple lifetimes in the same uh, space of time immediately know each other and recognize each other and play off of each other as if they are the same people that they met only short time ago. It's it, it's a little bit too odd. If, if Lenara was the same person that Dax had known, I would have understood it a little bit more. Well, you have to, well The second thing is... No, I'm sorry. I was going to say, what we have to understand, was that's been the problem with TNG romances from the get-go. You have to end up having this quick, sudden, I love you moment. They don't, you know, that's, that's the way all these TNG and Deep Space Nine romances have gone. It's been quick. Well, and I, I can understand that in, in terms of an episode, but here it's implied. Like, do, do you know what I mean? Like, why why do the trill recognize each other if they are t- if they are physically different bodies? Like, are they basing everything on the memory? Is how much of the driving of this situation is the symbionts, and how much is it of it is the person? You have to ask yourself the question then, 
how sentient do you believe is a symbiont? Because that to me, is that, that, that really becomes a big part of the issue. If you believe a symbiont is a very sentient, you know, not an SD card, as I think you've said before, but a true symbiont, you know, life, you know, life, obviously life force, but a lot, you know. It's like a personality, symbi- basically. Thank yeah. you. You know, do you believe that how, you have to, you have to figure out how sentient do you believe the symbiont is? I think that's a big question. That's something they never really take on. They never really talk about how sentient the symbiont ever is. And that's why everything becomes, gets so confused when you're watching, you know, a Dax episode because you, you, you have no basis, you know, good basis to go off of. The closest thing we had was in that first season where in that, you know, when Jadzia was in that trial, they said that the symbiont and the uh, host brainwaves are basically become so enmeshed, you don't know where Jadzia ends and the symbiont begins. That's kind of right. cryptic, even at that. Well, that's the that's the logic of you are a new person, which I could completely understand if you were saying that the so let's argue both ways. Let's say that the, the symbiont is uh, our my original understanding of the symbiont. And let's argue it's this, that the symbiont is a personality that is and of itself a person like it is. You are a, a humanoid host joined with a symbiont symbiont that has control over the situation. So if that's the case. Seeing them in each other in previous hosts would make some kind of sense because they would be like, oh, there's the other symbiont that I recognize from a long time ago. And the host is very unimportant in that situation. Now, what that does is that that ruins the that ruins the storyline here. And it also ruins it as a homosexual allegory because the symbionts shouldn't care about that. Like to them, the host body is meaningless and. That shouldn't be that doesn't seem to be the case. The host body seems to mean a lot to these things. So the other way that you have to go is that the symbiont is just a hard drive and it's installed in people. And at that point, why do these trill remember each other as the previous version when they should just be like, oh, we have some memories that we shared, but you are not the same person that it was like, why? Why is that? What is it, Tarius? Why is Tarius's personality the primary one in Dax carrying on? this relationship it gets very confusing just like Quark got confused at the start but the, do, do you know what i yeah, mean well, or do you want to flesh well, out the, what the, i'm talking the, about the, the problem is is that yeah i don't i'm with you i don't understand how I, I think it just goes back to getting lost somehow it gets lost in the past but you're right i wonder i don't understand why you're right, i understand why you would see someone who's a, a new body a new host and suddenly develop all these feelings when it's, you know, the other person. I know that there, and what's right. worse is they really don't go into much about what Lenar or Dax is that makes them attracted to each other from remembering, you know, Dax has one point to smile and laugh. And I don't think Lenar ever gets specific at all. So it, it's, it, it really takes a lot away from what they're trying to accomplish because it's, it's like me. I, I I can't. I couldn't envision if I was a say a gay trill, if I may, and had a relationship with this male male trill for however long I had sure. it, and then turn around and meet a woman, you know, who is the host now of the symbiont, and suddenly I'm falling madly up with her over the memory of, you know, my previous husband. I I can't wrap my mind around. I can't. I can't. Couldn't wrap my mind around that. That wouldn't make sense. If I'm a 
if you believe the host has a certain modicum of control, I'm still gay. <laughs> you know? But and the question becomes also, if I may real quickly, the also issue is, is, issue is does the trill become pansexual to a degree? When they put in symbiont, does that create a certain pansexuality that I, that we've never had before? Does it just kind of come with the territory? So right, so that that's almost more interesting. Like, does the does the memory of being one gender attracted to another, or one sex attracted to another sex, does does the memory of that allow this other sex to become attracted to that sex? I don't know if I said that right, but like, is the memory of a previous relationship strong enough to overwrite the sexuality or the orientation of another person? Like when we did the, um, you remember the host episode in TNG, which is the one where the trill are actually introduced to each other, uh, to the Federation? Oh, ex- exactly. Yeah. And Crusher, you know, goes from having their, I can't think of his name, but the original host, they having, you know, Will Riker now be the host and so- somehow or another she can, go from loving that host to now loving essentially a will you know until until a host. woman until a woman takes the symbionts at the very end and, and let me tell you something as a gay man that that last scene really bothered me a lot i understand that because when she's when dr crutcher says you know that i guess that's a human failing in us or something yes really when i first watched that episode years years ago what it came across to me is yeah we're pretty much still kind of homophobic sorry because i thought well you well, because I thought you had no problem catching up with Will, you know, you you end up going to bed with Will. That's and, no and no, that's him. good. The so I guess we can go into that because I got some a little bit of flack for. I see. I I feel like I understand Crusher in that scene more than I understand the mixing that happens in Rejoined. You know what I mean? Like the so the the Crusher thing is like. I, I, the non-trill, well, I guess it's different because both of them are trill in this case. So so I, I guess I'll look for your opinion first. Do the trill become pansexual? Is that your sort of take on how things evolve? Like, are they driven mostly by their memories of previous relationships? And that doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what the host's orientation is. You know what I mean? I, th- I think they can be be drawn to that based on the memory as opposed to what they are, you know? Meaning, you know, it, it, it wasn't like, you know, like they put the host to me and all of a sudden I go from being gay to, you know, 100% bisexual somehow. I, I think, uh, this may be a horrible example, but, I, I, but the best example I guess I can use is, you know, yes, I because I, people, some people have asked me, well, did, could you ever fall in love with a woman? And then of course I go, well, my initial answer is no, but Lord, I don't know. Maybe one of these days I just meet the woman that's for some reason just I click with oddly enough and I can, but that's my first instinct is no. Well, it's kind of, I think, the way it works here. I mean, I don't think normally Dex is ever showing any tendency originally up until – it's going to change later, by the way, folks. But at the moment, <laughs> up until now, Dex has shown no tendency toward any sort of bisexuality at all, you know, save the mirror universe and all the things going on there. But um, – but I guess it, it was the feelings were strong enough that she's able to look past it. But that's why I said, you know, I, I, I do think there's a certain pansexuality that comes along with it, but it's not a sense of you put it in and all of a sudden now your orientation changes. It's just, like I said, falling in love with the memory as opposed to maybe the person itself, which is why exactly why reassociation probably is a bad idea. 
once again, it goes back to that issue. They're kind of proving why reassociation is not a good idea. The one thing about reassociation, I, I, well, no, please go ahead. Well, the, the I, that, that's the other point about troll society that doesn't really make sense to me because you would, you would think that based on how this species exists, that this would be a problem that has like torn their society apart because I can't see any way that it doesn't work. And it's also weird to me that the taboo only exists about people that you have sex with. Like yes. she's allowed to become, she's allowed to become friends with Benjamin Cisco again. Isn't that just repeating the process that the Curzon Dax uh, host did? Well, no, but it, it yeah, but it's, it, it's always different. A love of a friend's always a lot different than a love of obviously a husband or a wife. Mm-hmm. I, I can see I can see why the why they're, that can be okay because there was never that, you know, that different that kind of that that deep of emotion involved. Not you can't be deep. Not okay, you can't have friends be deeply emotionally involved. You know what I'm saying? It's just different. I can see why there's why they can allow it to a point. I think to allow them to, to have to give up every one of their friends. I think even true society probably. I'm I'm saying this as if they're a real society. Yeah. But I'm they probably thought well. You know, we can't expect them to just give up absolutely everything. But I think they recognize that, you know, love as a, as with the spouse is just a line that you can't cross because then it's where your emotions get really jumbled up, and you can't you, you can't figure out if you're living the past or living in the present at the moment. I think that's that's why they make the delineation because I can understand why if it's a friend, it's a friend. You know, yeah. Now, of course, but, well, of, of course, yeah. You know, of course, now if you go back to fascination, obviously that has some. And feelings for Cisco, right? Yeah, right. That, that's <laughs> Which... that's buried within. So, so I, I mean, I guess I would argue against it just on the terms of what the episode has told me, which is that, and I, I understand your point that there's a, a difference between a romantic relationship and a friendship relationship. But the 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 symbionts are said to be experiencing new new experiences are what drive the symbionts basically. And that's like the reason that they exist and the reason that you have to live new lifetimes with them. So in my head, it would make sense that the troll taboo shouldn't just extend to people that you have sex with. It should extend to all of your previous relationships. You should not want to, they, because they do the thing about in that other episode about like trill deaths don't carry on. Like nothing else seems to carry on with the trill. You're supposed to cut all ties to the previous life. So friendship to me feels like it would be a natural extension of that. If you're living around with the same group of people, you are not giving the symbionts the lifestyle or the lifetime that they deserve, according to the society. I don't know if I agree with that because I, I think once again, it's going to be it's going back to, I think, to some degree, being realistic about where you draw the line. I, that 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 doesn't bother me because, as I said, I can under I personally can understand why there's that line as opposed to pushing the line somewhere else that 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 really never bothered me um one question mm-hmm. i have about reassociation there's one person when i was watching a particular review of his said that the whole thing about the taboo and being uh you know d- d- removed from troll society basically was some sort of you know equating that to being um removed from society for being gay you know this, uh, being rejected for being gay Yes. You know, it's funny. I never looked at it that way. I never did. It, it was until I l- listened to that one particular re- review. I went, oh, OK, I guess so. But I, I think it comes from the fact that they they make no big deal to begin with about the fact that it, there would be two women involved in a new marriage, at least what Kira does. 
maybe it just never dawned on me, but I never looked at it as that kind of a thing to begin with. It never felt that way. It was not really, to me, written that way. If it was yeah. meant to, it kind of went over, I don't want to say it went over my head, but it just I never really put that into it. I didn't, because I felt like, I, I felt like it's, it's trying to breathe something into it that just really isn't there. But I, I don't know, you may know more than I do, but on that one, but. Well, the, it's interesting because I guess we can, it's a good point to branch off into the actual storyline here and how it sort of is, has been criticized and how it's received and everything like that. Um, I see when I watch that, I view that as a very obvious allegory for the exclusion of homosexuals from society when revealing that relationship would be sort of uh, catastrophic to their current, uh, to current relationships and current relationships to society and, you know, church, family, blah, 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 all that stuff. So what they do here and what I'd be interested in your opinion is I don't know what the best way to approach material like this is. So Star Trek, would you say that it's better that Star Trek does this sort of allegory for um, homosexuality? Or would you prefer that the characters themselves are homosexual or you know, bisexual or whatever within the Star Trek universe where I don't know if you watch discovery, but discovery kind of did that with two uh, gay characters. And I don't know which is actually better because I'm stuck in this weird spot where it's like, well, if you are including characters like this in discovery and you don't really do anything with it, I don't understand the, I don't understand why you feel so proud to have done it, but at the same time, I'm very like, oh, it totally makes sense that no one would care about this in the time in the story of Star Trek. Like, it, it would be taking place at a time where no one cares about homosexuality, like they do in this episode. They don't. They don't mention it. They don't seem to be. It's not a concern that even bothers them. Well, what do you think? Would you rather have these sort of allegory stories about that, or would you rather have a character who is not heterosexual on the show? I have always hated the allegory um, because to me, it's too much of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Here's your gay episode. Enjoy it kind of thing. To me, when you try to do allegories, especially in like a bottle episode, which I think you agree this is, it, it I won't say it's offensive, but it, it's, it, it always feels like a little bit of an insult to my intelligence. I, to me, I want a gay character in Star Trek it is inexcusable to me. That that by the time Voyager came along, if I may push forward a little bit, it really became an excuse of me that at some point they just simply didn't have a gay character. At least, with, you know, at least Voyager, I guess you could say, didn't even bother trying to have the the one token episode in a way that I kind of preferred it in a way if they're just not going not going to have a gay character. Because if you have a gay character, especially a main one of some sort sort. It gives you a chance then to find out things that we have never gotten to figure out. To me, the one real sadness of all this is that I never got to find out what, how different cultures in Star Trek deal with homosexuality. Everything is just a guess because you, you have a zero clue. Um, I'd like to know how the Klingons deal with it. To me, I think the Klingons would actually be surprisingly more accepting of it because I think with the Klingons, it's about battle and, and honor. And to them, if you can yeah, carry, yeah. A bat, carry a bat lift you know, and, and defend yourself, and kill think, kill a hetero, kill a heterosexual Klingon. You're, yeah, it's, it doesn't matter. It right? doesn't. They don't. They, I think they really not. I don't. I don't think Worf would care one way or the other if you can if you can take care of yourself in battle and improve your honor. I think it's all they care about. I think actually now, of course, 
I think Romulans would have a horrible problem with it, you know, given their what we know of their their past history from different episodes. But I never get this. I never get the chance to see how see how, how homosexuality plays out in the Star Trek universe, and that to me is where I feel like I got cheated most by Star Trek in general, because hmm. it, it you you never get to know where I don't get a chance to know where my place in society would be as a gay man. Now this one gives you an idea yeah. in a sense of apparently no one seems to be bothered by it, but obviously you know with you, when you have such disparate cultures that you have. You know, that's not really necessarily going to be the case. And I never, you know, as a viewer, I never got the chance to find out, you know, where, where gay, where LGBT community stands in that timeline. And and so to me, one token episode honestly doesn't mean that much to me anymore. Now, I will tell you when it first came along, I saw this when it first aired. Obviously, you're happy to see something, obviously, because back in what when was this? 97, I believe it was when they first aired this. Uh, it's even earlier. This is 95, 95. maybe? Let me see. Okay. This is 95. So, yeah, 95. I understand in 95, you were happy to have something. But, you know, as I look at it now in 2018, it, it's hard not to, it's a little hard not to roll my eyes over this episode in, in that sense, in the sense of, not in the sense of the story mm. itself, but in the sense of, you know, what it's trying to accomplish. Because to me, it's just like, I, one episode doesn't mean that much to me. You know, especially if you're not even going to use the word, if you're not even going to reference it ever. And, you know, I, I appreciate what they were trying. I appreciate what they were trying to do. I appreciate the effort they were trying to make. But it's even worse. Can I go back to my original issue about how Rejoined and then the TNG episode Outcast were so similar? You know, it's like they took one script put on top of the other one and changed a few things. That actually, to me, makes it worse. Because <laughs> if they had actually made more effort, mm. if, I mean, if they had made more effort, to actually make a different episode to me instead of kind of what they did at least i could go okay fine but this one even though it is well written for what it is it's still taking a template and moving it to another series yeah i think i think it's interesting what you said there about it being the the hiddenness of what they're doing is almost offensive on some level where i i understand what they're trying to do here and I understand that they're doing it as a allegory because they don't have a non-heterosexual character on the cast that they can actually do things with. So they have to have these kind of sci-fi based episodes that deal with the issue. The thing is that it's when it's when it is, as you say, wink wink, nudge, nudge, when the episode comes around 20 years later, or wherever we are now, it does it does feel cowardly on some level like it's like you really just didn't want to embrace it you were just like all right we'll just we'll dress it up a little bit and we'll get around it and it's it's funny it's like an episode that can be at the time be seen as very progressive and forward-looking and it actually comes across as more dated even if you move just a decade or two into the future It, it just doesn't age well and i think that the episode ages well because it is a love story at heart but the the allegory that they're going for feels very dated to me anyway, as, as someone who's sort of looking in from well, the outside. To, to me, what's even worse was when, when, the, when the new Star Trek movies came out and they wanted to make Sulu gay, all of a sudden, you know, even George Takai you know, finally said, well, you shouldn't do that. To, to, you know, Sulu was never gay. To just do that, once again, they were trying to make a certain group happy by just saying, okay, this character, Sulu's gay now. 
And even to, to cut, even George Takai had a big issue with it. He said, Silas not gay. He never was. And he shouldn't be now. That, that's, that, that's very untrue to how the character has been for decades now. You know, so even, even, so even, even of late, Star Trek still in some ways has not handled it. They've been so afraid over the years to handle things the way it needs to be handled. I, I almost sometimes wish they just didn't bother because if you're not going to treat it the way it needs to be treated, to me, you, you shouldn't even be doing it. And, and you're right. Back in 95, this episode was progressive. I agree with you. But, you know, in 2018, it's hard not to, it's hard not to roll your eyes with this episode sometimes, even as well-meaning as it is. Would you, would you like the episode if it was less of an allegory and, and they had actually dealt with what, – what would you prefer? The episode deals with homosexuality as the forefront issue or do you think that the allegory makes it more Star trek because I could see the I could see the argument going both ways. If the the reason it's a Star Trek episode is because they stuck this sci-fi plot onto something, uh, which in some cases, as you were saying, is even more about just the memory of things than it is about the uh, sexual orientation of the characters. Or would you have preferred a more, uh, I guess I'll say straight ahead version, which is what I consider the outcast to be. I think this is a better made episode, but I could see a person going one way or the other in terms of content. It's it's better made, Wes, in that it, it's it's it it I think it definitely shows the progression that went along with it. You know, by ninety five, yeah, there were things were better for for the gay community, no doubt. And I think that proves that and how they decide to handle this episode. So certainly you can look at this episode and appreciate, in a way, the progress. And I said I think the biggest progress that was made with this episode is not really the issue not being the fact that it would be a gay couple, you know, falling in love. It's just the taboo of the true society all based on something entirely different. So in that sense, yes, it did move, the mm-hmm. move I think, things forward some. All right. So I, I thought, Bob, we'd just talk about the how the episode actually works um, in and of itself, which I think is that something that it actually excels at because it is a extremely low stakes, low action, I guess is what you'd call it. The most action sequences when that fire happens in the warp core or whatever, and, and Jedzia Dax walks over the force field. Um, and it comes to an end. And I think that the, if anything, the problem I have with the episode is actually the ending, where it feels like the setup is something that would make a lot of sense, but I don't know that they deserve what happens at the very end. And now that you've said it, I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that we don't get a lot of the Lenara and her brother conversations that I feel are missing, because I think that's an important aspect of what's going on in her decision. Uh, what would you think of it? I agree with you. I, 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 I think not having the conversation between... Lenara and her brother at the end really, to me, just flat out ruins the conversation that Dax and Lenara has, you know, and Lenara just saying, I can't handle this. You know, I just don't think I can deal with this. Um, I, I, it, it, it really soured things because it, it felt so abrupt, you know, they, they went, because remember something, they went from Dax rescuing Lenara you know, from the fire and Dax saying, I don't ever want to lose you. And, oh, you know, Lenar saying, oh, I thought I lost you, Dax, et cetera. And they go from that and then to a, you go right to Lenar and her brother and her brother's leaving to 
I can't handle this anymore. And it, it was so rushed. It was so chopped yeah. up. You know, it, it was a really, really unsatisfying ending for me because it, it, it really wasn't believable, to be honest. Without that conversation with her brother, the ending well, becomes very unbelievable in a way. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'd say it's unbelievable because what Lenara does makes sense to me, except they don't really, they don't lay the groundwork for why she's making that decision. So as you say, it, it feels very abrupt that she's in this wonderful, loving, very happy to be back reunited with the Dax symbiont relationship. And then sort of overnight, she's just like, you know what? I just have to go home. I, I don't think they played up the... I don't think that they played up enough of the Trill uh, believing in their society rules enough. And it was actually interesting to me that they made Dax the outlier, uh, that Dax would be willing to break the taboo and sort of go in that direction. Um, you, you know what I mean? Like they, they didn't earn Lenar's choice, I don't think. And even though it makes sense to me and that's the way that it had to go just because this is an episodic Star Trek and because that's the heartbreaking episode and that we you know that the show wants to give us it just felt it was well played it was well acted everything was good it was just missing a scene it just needed that scene where we sort of get an insight into troll culture that the episode didn't really do yeah i i, I agree as i as i said it goes back to something i said previous which is i could have lived without that second conversation between dax and cisco and saved it for the conversation between lenar and her brother because yeah. the, the second conversation felt superfluous, incredibly superfluous at that point. Because Dax said she could handle it. So, so anyway, go ahead. Le- leave her, leave her alone, Cisco. Leave her alone. She's got, she's got. Although Cisco turned out to be 100 percent right, which I think was a nice little touch for the episode to do. Um, let's see. Here. So, do, what's your sort of sense of the the show at this point, too? I'll, I'll say that before I fire it off to you. It's a we say this all the time, but this feels like an episode that if they had done it a season or two before would have been a complete disaster. But the show is now comfortable enough where it can do these smaller episodes. And the show, the tone of the show is really different from what it used to be. And it's very um, contained, smaller. The sci-fi is just tertiary to whatever they're trying to do in terms of character work. And all the acting feels really good. The acting and directing feels very comfortable with each other. Uh, what would you think about the way that the episode was put together and the the tone of the series? Well, I know point? you've been, I, I know you and Clay have been a little critical about Terry Farrell, Terry Farrell at moments, and rightfully so. I think this is probably her best acting job, to be honest. And I think, and I think, yes, I'd agree with that. The, there was actually really great chemistry between Terry Farrell and the actress playing Lenara. That was actually made and made it. Yeah, she then made also it very so much good. more believable. It, it, it never got, it, it got a little melodramatic, especially on the Defiant, but it never, it never felt like it crossed the line with the melodrama, which made it more effective. Um, I'm sure I would have no doubt that Avery Brooks probably helped in that sense um, as a director. But, you know, there, because I think one of the perfect example is, you know, that little scene that Dax and Bashir has when, after Dax asks, Lenar out for dinner, you know, she goes to Jillian and begs him to cancel his plan. Um, I'm not sure in a, a season or two ago you could buy that scene. Now you can. Where, you know, I think Julian, where Julian has moved on and, you know, he realizes, you know, Dax doesn't have those feelings. She loves him as a friend, but that's it. And he's accepted that and moved on. And it's actually, it's a short scene, but it is a sweet scene. 
you know, where, you know, Dax is saying, please, because, you know, she wanted to have a chaperone. She wanted to try to do things, I think, the appropriate way and probably be better to have someone around. Exactly. And then, and of course, then it's funny when you have just Bashir there at the, at Quark's just bored out of his mind and thanking God for a broken leg and sick bay. But a season ago, even maybe even I don't know you could get by with this ep- with that 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 moment between her and Bashir, and I think it speaks to a lot of how all the characters have progressed. Um, it, I I like the fact that in the beginning, um, where uh, Bashir and Kira explain things to Quark, it was nice to see Kira not being pissed off at Quark and being able to have like a normal conversation. Um. You couldn't have had that a couple of years ago with me. Yeah, like a, a functional, a functional exactly. conversation yeah. with him. Yeah, as opposed to yeah, because early on, I mean, every, every, she just, all she had she had to do is see Quark and she'd be pissed off. Now, now at least you know they can have that kind of conversation. It can be believable because um, I think she's kind of accepted what Quark, Quark's place is on that station. She may not always like it still, but she's you know grown to accept it. So yeah, it, it's the little things that help to make the episode much more believable because. When a couple of years ago, you you couldn't have bought some of the scenes they they wrote. I agree with you on that. I think that the um, I think that's all right, and I think or you're you're correct about everything there. I think that it's a everyone's much more comfortable with the way that the uh, scenes go. The characters are more uh, fleshed out and more content in the places that they uh, sit. The Dax and Bashir stuff does feel realistic and comfortable at this point. Um. I think just in general, the show's just really settled into itself nicely. And by, by the way, I, by the way, Wes, you know that you know, you, I I couldn't help but notice very quickly that Miles just pretty much isn't in this episode except for one scene. And I thought that was interesting in itself because Miles would probably be the one character to have the biggest problem with all of it, not being able to understand things. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of glad they left him mostly out of this episode because I really would have. <sighs> I hate to say this, and I and I don't mean to offend anyone listening, but it, it, understand it's coming from my perspective as being a gay man of thirty years, or being an out gay man of thirty years. I don't. I was glad not to have the middle-aged white guy who's probably not really can, can who can who wouldn't be comfortable with it. I'm glad there was sure. that perspective. It got you know that was. I'm not sure if that was on purpose or because Colmini had something else to do, you know, a project he was going to do that week or whatever else. But I was really happy. yeah. I think he's, I think he's filming a movie actually. Yeah. So I was really content to have him not be part of this. I'm not saying I don't like Miles the character in general, but I I didn't need his what would be an ob- an obvious he's going to be uncomfortable with this and he's got the biggest issue and because that could take a half an episode just dealing with his perspective. And so I'm kind of happy. <laughs> with it. Well, what up? That's why we yeah, never. I know. I know. I'm, la- I'm laughing at that. I'm laughing at that script. Actually, just everyone, everyone trying to uh, console Miles about what's happening. Exactly, because he would have been utterly confused, couldn't understand any of it, be utterly uncomfortable with it, and it takes most of the episode for him to finally get over himself. Exactly, and I was just so I was very happy that he just really wasn't a part of it because I think that made that show a lot easier to deal with. As I said, I I don't mean to offend anyone listening, but that I was happy he wasn't in this episode. The, uh, well, before we go to final thoughts, I just thought th- some of the um, some of the behind the scenes thoughts about this were interesting. Um, uh, Ronald D. Moore had mentioned that an affiliate affiliate station that aired the episodes down south cut the kiss from their broadcast. 
uh, writer Renee Echevarria says, my mother was absolutely scandalized by the episode. She was shocked and dismayed. She told me, I can't believe you did that. There should have been a parental guidance warning. A man called the show and complained, you're ruining my kids by making them watch two women kiss like that. They got a lot of, they got a lot of, I mean, it's obviously stupid. They got a lot of stupid feedback from people about the episode. Um, mm-hmm. I thought Ira Bear had something very interesting to say here. Ira Stephen Bear said in 1997, I know that's, that Paramount got a lot of negative feedback, which only goes to prove a point I always believed in, which is that science fiction fans and Star Trek fans are much more conservative than people want to believe. And the whole Gene Roddenberry liberal humanistic vision is truly not shared by a significant portion of the audience. Do you want to talk? Do you want to say anything about that? I think that's an interesting oh, quote that's from a loaded, Bear. That's a loaded comment. Um, <sighs> boy, where do I begin with that? That 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 takes a minute to think. I would. I mean, I think he's right. Yeah, I don't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, I think he's right. You know, the, the, there are certain parts of the country still today, um, where being gay openly can be a real issue. Um. And it, I, I always think of is that they were afraid, especially I think being syndicated, they were afraid of losing stations. Being gay in 2018 is still a problem for some people being on the part of the country they live in. And to go back 22 year, 23 years now, it was even a bigger problem in places you would have thought would have been a problem. Um, and I know in the end, what being syndicated, they were always so scared I think of probably losing stations that they they just wouldn't weren't willing to deal with it. I don't think they're conservative per se. I I I have found that really big Star Trek fans or Trekkies tend to em, em, on some of them embrace it. Now, do they embrace every facet of it? Well, no. I don't know if I embrace every facet of what they're trying to say the Star Trek world is. Um, but. <sighs> I, t- I find myself I've, I I I guess I disagree with him in the sense that I I think it just depends on the part of the country. If you're talking about a Star Trek fan in Mississippi, if I may use the example, then yeah, I can see where that is a bigger issue. But I don't. I, mm-hmm. I've never felt like the Star Trek fans are as a whole conservative. I just think it goes with anything else when you're dealing with social issues. It depends on the part of the country, and so I I find that mildly surprising in a way that he would say that because if you're really a big Star Trek fan, you're very aware of what kind of universe they've been over the years trying to create. And so to say that, why are you watching it would be my question. Like, if, 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 you, you know what I mean? Like the, the universe is clearly not that way. Um, so exactly. Are they, do they really just watch it for the sort of phaser shoot them up action diplomacy sequences or something? It's, it's very interesting. No. Like, well, what you have to understand, I, I, I guess I give my, may she rest in peace. I give my mother as an example. Um, mm-hmm. she wasn't, she wasn't happy with me being gay. I'll tell you that right now, but she was a, of a generation that had no, would have no problem, you know, dating an African-American. She, you know, had considered it at one point. Yeah. So I mean, it, it it just I mean, it just depends on the age of the fan, where they live, and everything else. It, it's to throw a blanket statement like that. I I I take issue with because I think it depends on the person, what part of the country is, their culture, etc. It's 
And you can watch it, a show like that, and understand where it's coming from and not agree with everything, but enjoy the show. It's not that it has to be shoot them up or anything else. They're just part, I think in 95, that kind of reflects where they were. They could handle interracial dating and marriage. They could handle a lot of what Star Trek had. But, you know, in 95, there still was, and for some people, that glass ceiling when it came to homosexuality. There just was. <coughs> so I think they watched it and could filter out in their mind what they liked and what they didn't like and got past what they didn't mostly. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'd say about Bear's statement is that the people who are dedicated enough to write a letter to something um, are a particular breed. And like, if it's not a, you, you might get overwhelmed with the amount of, you might think that the issue is more widespread than the letters would imply, if that makes sense. Like the the people writing the letters are probably like the, how do you say this? Like the, the, the totality of that representation is probably pretty high. <laughs> you know, like if people are upset enough, they probably wrote a letter about it. Um, it it's, it's weird to me. It's I, Although I do agree with him. I think that society in general and like the way that people um, approach the shows is much more conservative. And I think you can just see that from the response of like, what they call toxic fandom now at this point, which is a very, it's almost not even like socially conservative. It's just very conservative about changing the show that they like. And this is, could kind of be considered a way to do that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that, and obviously there are people with opinions out there that would be sort of the more socially conservative, sort of like getting incensed by the fact that they saw two women kissing on TV which is, you know, absurd and ridiculous, but there are people out there who have those kinds of opinions about things. Yeah, I, as I said, I, I just, I just think each viewer just takes what they want out of any show they watch, and Star Trek is no different. Yeah, and they take true. what they like and what they don't like, and most of the time, it's nothing so controversial that they'll start calling their stations over it. But they, you know, the things they're not as, as agree with as much, they just accept them for what it is and go on and they enjoy the show as a whole. So I said, I don't, I just don't agree with Steve, with, with Iris Stephen bear on that one. I think that's just making a blanket statement that really isn't fair to, I think the majority of the fans. Mm-hmm. Although he got a lot of feedback about his, um, <laughs> what was it? The past, not past prologue. What was the one where they go back in time with Gabriel past tense? Um, yeah. he got, he got a lot of feedback about that, about people who's people were writing in saying like, show us the other, show us the, what the hell would have been? He's like, he's like, show us the positive side to this. Uh, you know, like there must be some upside to setting up of these um, zones of like imprisonments and stuff. And he, he's just kind of laughing about like, well, we, we didn't write the episode to show you the other side of the political arguments about this. Um, but anyway, let's take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Bob are going to come back. We'll read some patron thoughts and then we'll give our own thoughts and call it a day. I want to be with you more than anything, but I don't think that I can do this. Dax. I am not like you. I don't have a little Curzon inside me telling me to be impulsive, to ignore the rules, to give up everything that I've worked for. Can you really walk away from me? From us? After all this time we're together, don't throw that away. I don't want to. Maybe I need more time. Maybe if I go back to Trill for a while, I, I'll think it over. I, 
I can always come back later. I wish I could believe you. But ultimately, it comes down to this. If you feel about me the way I feel about you, you won't go on that transport tomorrow. And if you do leave, I think we both know you're never coming back again. All right. So, patron thoughts. If you support the show on patreon.com slash you can leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. We read them and react to them on the podcast. So, we have Holly McLaughlin says, rejoined. For 1995, this was incredibly brave. Two years before Ellen came out, they had two women falling in love and kissing. They had to cover their asses with the sci-fi quirk of one of them having been male before, but this was along the lines of the Kirk Uhura kiss and the TNG episode The Outcast and pushing Trek's progressive values as far as the moment and culture would permit. The power of the courageous element lifts up the rest of the episode, which is pretty mediocre otherwise. Um, let's see here. The next comment is... Zam Nuclear Wessel says, Rejoined. One nice touch is how Jadzia and Lenar have two different approaches to femininity without either of them being butch. One regrettable thing is that no one mentioned that Bashir had Tarias's memories back in facets, which could have made for some interesting conversation at that dinner party, um, which is just <laughs> true. Yeah, Bashir could have actually played more into this uh, episode. Zam Nuclear Wessel continues, another exhibit in my theory that Trill society is based on lies. The reason for the taboo is the exact opposite of what they say. Not to make sure that the symbiont has no experiences, but to prevent the widespread freakout that would happen if, if, if after joining, hosts preferred the symbiont's relationships over those of the host, making it clear that the symbionts are the true rulers of the planet and their society. And then the very little, not the last, we have Matthew Ross says, rejoined externally an interesting idea reminding me of Camelot 3000 story with Lancelot and Guinevere, both as women and lovers. I think back to when it was broadcast, an outcry of anti-gay bias, not specifically from the Star Trek community, but ridiculous enough to be sure, especially in showing an enlightened 24th century human race and not even human at that. Uh, I think it was tastefully done. The sci-fi wormhole part was so B-plot, but it was a C- so B-plot that it was a C or D-plot. One thing that always drove me nutty is why Eddington was in the charge of the engineering section as he's in security. Thompson, I think, was well cast, and I think that she appears in other Trek episodes. Overall, there's still a weirdness of not really knowing just what the hell these symbionts are or do, or how they actually imprint on their current hosts. You know, the usual Dax shortcomings, but to me, a pretty decent Dax story. And then our last comment, Hal Barrett. Wow, so the Star Trek writers can actually write a love story that works. Who knew? It's especially strange considering it's between two women and the female characters are usually the worst written. Uh, But I think it works because even though it's a same-sex relationship, the gender of the characters feels completely irrelevant during the episode. I also like the idea of trill scientists passing down their knowledge via symbiont. Just imagine if Einstein had passed on his brain to Stephen Hawking. It's a neat idea, although the best moments come when they open the wormhole. A monumental scientific success, and it cuts to Worf's face with a completely blank expression. Comedy gold. Thank you, comments. Thank you, patrons, for commenting on the episode. Much appreciated. Thank you for supporting the show. Bob, on our scale of one to five, what are you going to give rejoined? Oh, brother. You know, I... If you asked me in 1995, I'd probably give it a four. But it's hard. I can't look at it, you know, in terms of the past. I have to look at terms of the, of the present. I'm going to give it a three. It's a good episode. But, you know, as I said before, there's there's things that are eye-rolling about. And there's, you know, once again, as, as I said, the wink-wink, nudge-nudge way of handling it really bothers me. And... It's it's a shame because I I think as you said the love story itself was mostly quite good so 
it, it, it to me for me it takes a I'm gonna give it a three. All right, so Bob's cut out. I'm gonna record mine quickly uh, before the internet completely shits the bed on us. I'm gonna give this one a three as well. Bob gave it a three. It's um, you know, the, the real problem with me is just that the trill. The Trill Society doesn't make a lot of sense. And I, I spend the entire episode, and I think the episode is pretty good outside of that. It's unfortunate that I spend the entire time sitting there wondering how the Trill work, why they are attracted to each other, how are they recognizing each other. And I lose focus on the actual relationship and what the episode is saying about sacrifice and going against society and going against the taboos. And it ends up putting me in this weird position where I think that the episode is really good, but I'm just distracted by this aspect of not understanding what the Trill are doing. Um, but it's a good episode. It shows that the show is really evolving in a lot of ways. Um, and the show is just getting better at doing what it does. Anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening to the show. If you want to click all the social media links, you can go to Facebook, Twitter, uh, down below. Discord will be there. If you want to chat, go to the Discord channel. Go to patreon.com slash file if you want to support the show there. You get extra podcasts and stuff. You get streams occasionally, blah, blah, blah. And as always, if you want to rate the show on iTunes, it's great. You can go to the podcast app on your iPhone. Rate us there. It's much easier than going on to the, uh, the iTunes platform itself. That's about it. I think Bob might still be gone. But I'm just going to wrap it up here. Bob, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, we will post this episode soon. Guys, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time.